When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, we have a really special guest. They're all special guests, but this person is actually one of our heroes. I want everybody to meet Charles Brand. You remember Charles from the docuseries, The Keepers, and we're going to get him to share his story again because I know some of you may have forgotten the details. Charles, welcome. We're really excited to have you with us. Thank you, dear. First thing I want to ask you about is going way back to grade school. Can you tell us how you came to meet Joseph Maskell? I I was an altar boy. Sorry, at St. Clemens in 1958. Mm-hmm. We're going back a few years. In the fifth or sixth grade, you have the opportunity to become an altar boy. In the fifth grade, I decided that I, I wanted to be an altar boy. In those days, you you had to learn Latin, mass of all in Latin. The first thing he had to do was learn the entire Mass in Latin. In fifth grade, I was having more time learning English. I became an altar boy. I became friends with Father Maskell probably in, in the summer of my seventh grade, going from seventh to eighth grade. For that, I, I had been altar for two years. I had some very nice priests. Uh, anybody knows St. Clemens, who's listening, especially the older folks, will remember Father Burns. He was the pastor. He was an old-school, no-nonsense pastor. That's who I learned to serve on the altar with. I learned with a priest named Father Young, very good person, who took me under his wing. As a side note, he, he later left the priesthood and got married. Back in those days, that was scandalous. But he was a great guy, so I was very comfortable around priests. Father Maskell came probably in the summer of seventh grade. At the time, St. Clemens was a thriving parish that had masses at six in the morning, seven in the morning, eight in the morning. So they needed altar boys. So there was a lot of altar boys. I first met Father Maskell when he came to St. Clemens. And I didn't take him for any different than any other priest that I had known. He became friends. They took an interest in me. And I can... Looking back at it, I, I, I can't now realize why he took an interest in me, but touch on that a little later on. I served several, I would have the 6 or 7 o'clock mass in the morning. And in the summer, that meant I had to get to get to church. Most of the time, I rode my bicycle down to church. It was probably about a mile and a half, two miles away. That's where I first met Father Maskell. Did your family belong to St. Clement's Parish? My father and mother were very good people. My father was a construction worker. In fact, he was in the asbestos. And in those days, they called it the asbestos union. He was, a, he, he was an insulator. You know, called insulation. 
I was born in Baltimore City on Lemon Street, which is which is a street that runs perpendicular to Lombard and Front. Uh, we moved out into Lansdowne in 1958. Lansdowne in 58 was country. I was considered the country. And my, my, my folks wanted to get out of the city because it was not where they wanted to raise the kids. My, my father and mother were Catholic, but they weren't very religious. I wasn't forced to go to church on Sunday. My mother told me the difference between right and wrong. As far as Catholic school is concerned, my brother chose that. My brother, I have eight, a, a, a brother who's 18 months older than me. And he was given a choice. Do you want to go to Catholic school or do you want to go to public school? And quite honestly, he, he, he figured Catholic schools had off more often in the holidays. And he chose Catholic <laughs> schools. And that's how, we got, that's how I got to St. Clemens. I followed in his footsteps. He was one year ahead of me in school. So when I was in the fifth grade, he was in the sixth. When I was in the seventh, he was in the eighth. That's how we got St. Clemens. We were a good family. I had two stepbrothers, a stepsister, a full brother, myself. And my folks taught me the difference between right and wrong. And they were good people. I had a good childhood. You were serving at Mass three times a day, huh? <laughs> I, I was uh, serving at Mass uh, sometimes five, six times a, a week. But I certainly so yeah, hey, my mother's right. My mother showed up the very first day I uh, went on the altar. It was a big thing for her and my aunt. I begged her not to because I didn't know what I was doing the first time. What are the responsibilities of an altar boy back in the 60s? Well, to uh, prepare for mass. Anywhere from uh, uh, getting everything out on the altar that's supposed to be out on the altar, getting the candles lit, certainly being there on time, helping the priest with the mass, including the give community. community. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, you, you actually uh, would shut down uh, the altar. Yeah. It was there to assist the, uh, the priest. You know, in those days, it was simply boys. There was no girls allowed on the altar. Of course, that's changed. And I'm glad it's changed. But altar boy back in my day was a big deal. In the class, of, I think we had, we probably had 100 kids in my class. Maybe 15 or 20 of them got to be on the altar. You were the, the assistant to the priest. If you needed anything, you were there for him. There was some status attached to that then, huh? Our status. It was a pretty big deal in, in, in my school. Did you tell me at one point you were in charge of the other altar boys? That didn't happen until Maskell came aboard. October of my eighth grade, after spending all summer with Maskell, Father Maskell. I hesitate to call him Father Maskell. I, I got to know. That's okay. Uh, uh, we don't call but, him father either. Yeah. But from here on out, we'll just call him Maskell. Okay. Works with me. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm not here to disrespect anyone, but it is what it is. He uh, came to me one day and said, Listen, I, I want to put you in charge of the altar boys, which that was over the top. Because up until then, uh, a nun had been, in fact, her name was Sister Thomas Michael. And Sister Thomas Michael was the fifth grade teacher. And she was a no-nonsense teacher. When you found out you had Sister Thomas Michael for a year, well, you were in hell. That woman, she was tough. But she taught Dalton boys back then. Uh, he turned that job over to me, which was pretty uh, unbelievable, to be honest with you. Turned over to an eighth grader. I think Sister Thomas Michael liked it because he was doing that during her lunch hour. She worked hard. His sons worked hard. And I think she needed a 45-minute break, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, it was a very powerful position. In other words, I had, I was in charge of who was going to be on the altar, who was not going to be on the altar. I had in charge of 
who was going to have 6 o'clock mass, 7 o'clock mass, 8 o'clock mass. It was a very big deal. A very big deal, particularly for an eighth grader. Putting things in perspective, let me, this back then had a lot of power. They may still have a lot of power, I don't know. But when a priest walked into that school, the nuns took notice. Whatever they said went. They were the boss. So uh, not only did I have a power with my classmates and the, uh, and the uh, seventh to sixth grade, I had a lot easier time with the nuns from there on out. So it was, yeah, it was, I think I, I mentioned in the keepers, I was the golden boy. I was the golden boy. The nuns did not fool with me, and the underclassmen looked up to me. It was good. And by, by the way, I did a nice job. I handled that very well. What was Maskell's title at St. Clemens? I believe his title was associate pastor. I believe it was the second parish he was in. I think he replaced Father Young, to be honest with you. So I just told I you. Think you're right. uh, yeah, I, I think I you're think right. Yeah, I think you're right, Charles. He left. And let me just say this Father Young was a good man. And I don't know if he's still alive, or, but he was a good, decent person. Were there uh, other too. priests living there? As far as I know, there was one other priest. I don't remember his name. And then there was Father Burns. I can tell you a story about Father Burns. By the time I got there, he was on his way out. He was an old guy that, but uh, but he was a serious priest. Then the first grade, uh, the first grade teacher, and my brother eat soup. We're using a little bit of profanity, I do please. Miss Patricia was uh, mean as a snake. My mother was a no nonsense person. She found out Miss Patricia made him eat soup. She did the fan. She didn't go down to Miss Patricia. She went down to Father Bird. Uh, she straightened that matter out pretty quick. That never happened again. By the time I rolled in, they knew who the France boys were. <laughs> so, uh, let me preface all this by saying I haven't watched the keepers all the way through because I really don't have a stomach for it. You know, it was strange times back then. Like the Catholic Church, just looking back at it, it, it was a mess back then. But being a 13 year old, you don't realize that the Catholic Church was a mess. were in St. Clemens. Was it like a grade school? Uh, there's no kindergarten. Back in my day, I never went to kindergarten. I keep telling people, I skipped two grades. Three schools, I went right to the first grade. One to eight. In the eighth grade, you either went to a public high school, or in my case, I went to Mount St. Joe. A lot of people went to Lansdowne High School. A lot of the girls went to Keogh. A lot of the girls went to Spalding. Back in those days, Spalding was just a girl school. Charles, I know that you were talking about how you suddenly became an altar boy. And things started looking pretty good for you in terms of altar boys being looked up to kind of in your school. When did things start to change with math school? Now, let me just say this. I've given this some thought. I was the youngest of five. My father was married 
and before he met my mother. They had two older sons, and his wife passed away. My mother was married to a man who actually got bit by a snake when he had Jima and passed away. She had a daughter. Both were widows. They got together and had me and my brother. I was the youngest. I was very young when I became somewhat sexual because of my older brothers. Again, I, my brothers, I'm 65. They're 80. So I was what I thought was being bad with the next-door neighbors. So I actually went to confession. And I happened to go to confession with Father Maskell because the Catholic Church had me believing it was a mortal sin to do that. I've been giving us a lot of thought. That's what Father Maskell actually, I think he became interested in me. I used to think it was the blonde hair, blue eye, but it, it was more to it than that. He heard my confession. And I was, and the Catholic Church had me so wrapped up that our mortal sin to do what biology says to do when you're at that age, that biology kicks in. And that's where I really think he took a liking to me. But now that I think about it, even after Mass, sometimes she wanted to hear my confession. I'd say Mass with him. He said, Do you have anything else you need to tell me? Buddy, I had plenty of things to tell him, but I didn't. I kept that stuff to myself. But the Catholic Church had me loaded with guilt. I was very loaded with guilt, even at 13, because I had a lot of things that I thought I needed to feel guilty about. But in reality, there was no guilt there. It was just part of life. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey, as someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. After I became head of the Off Boys, a couple of things took place. One, uh, he started coming in and in, in, in my classroom at 12 o'clock right after lunch, maybe 12.30, and pulled me out of class, taking me up to the rectory. In those days, the rectory was a separate house. It's not like it is now. That's through the church. The new church was not yet built. So the rectory was a house, and I think it was on 1st Avenue. I'm, I'm in Brown, but maybe 2nd Avenue. And then down, right up the street from the school. And he would pull me out of class for a couple of hours at, at a time. First of all, it was once a week. He got to like three times a week. Greek says that he needs to see you. He needs to see you. The nuns had nothing. Those nuns that were teaching me at the time were Sister Mary Paula, Sister Thomas Michael. Sister of Providence. And they were good people. 
I think they're very naive. I think they, they, they turned their hand on things, but they were good people who were in it for the, for, for the right reasons. I would go up into the rectory. At first, it was all, all, all about sports. We talked about sports. We talked. Maskell was the chaplain for the Baltimore County Police. He was a chaplain for the state police. He was a chaplain for the Maryland Air National Guard. He uh, was either in his, on his way to getting a, a master's degree in psychology at Hopkins, or maybe already had it. Back in those days, that was a big deal for people to get master's degrees back in, in 67. No, people barely got high school education back then. But it quickly turned to, we go up there and spend hours talking about sex. That's where I learned to drink. He started having wine when I got up there. First time I drank wine. Believe me, I'm until then, I never drank. I didn't do anything. I was big in the sports. So I, uh, I drank quite a bit of wine out of a chalice. They said it was left over from a mass. They needed to finish. After a while, when I got up there, it was always a glass of wine and a coffee cup. Always in a coffee cup. The other thing that's interesting was that you always have a soda there that opened. It started with Coke. I told them I don't drink Coke. There was always a Pepsi up there, too. And that was always opened. So you take that for what, it, what it's worth. Uh, this went on for a, a good while. And, uh, and that's where, actually, things started getting a little kinky. Particularly after after the wine, he and I know in the keepers, I never really touched on what took place in that rectory. Maskell got awful masturbating. He liked to masturbate, uh, particularly in front of kids, little boys, and uh, he, he did that fairly often. And the guys are showing me how this is how you masturbate. He would he checked out my penis, see if it was circumcised. Even at thirteen, I didn't I didn't really understand the circumcised, uncircumcised routine. It was always about sex, always involving wine. Uh, and many times I left Jared. Uh, in fact, sometimes he drove me home. Usually I leave Jared and go over to the school bus. Teaching the altar boys, he knew that, that I was, when the, uh, at lunchtime, I'd have a group of maybe 15 kids that I was teaching how to be altar boys. What the hell? There was wine in the rectory. At that point, I started drinking the wine out of the rectory. And I noticed that he would keep it filled. It was, the wine was never filled in the rectory refrigerator. But looking back at it, I know why he did that now. Because he, he would come down and realize how much I drank during recess. Because I knew what was coming up. So I was, a lot of times after recess, I'd have a pretty good amount of uh, altar wine in me before I'd even go up to see Master. And we did a lot of things together. We, he'd take me shooting over uh, at the Avenue Police Station. Where they, where they taught police officers to range. But it was outside. So again, don't quote me on that. But there was a shooting range that he used to take me to quite often. I felt uncomfortable with the whole situation. And I made a mistake. Well, I didn't make a mistake. I'm glad I did. I told my friends, you got to watch out for this guy. He is not right. And uh, he likes little boys. And that got back to him. That's when things started to Sarah. And that was probably in April of 1960. Seven. He got real ugly real quick when he found out I was talking about him. Because uh, I didn't want what was happening to me and to my friends. Evidently, one of my classmates told him. They came in one day to the, uh, my class and grabbed me by my hair, pulled me out of my chair. And this was in front of the nun, by the way, Sister Mary Paul. In no uh, certain terms, he said, Get your fucking little ass up to the rectory. I will talk to you. And that's how we talk to each other. 
I was 13 years old. I look at 13 year old. I look at eighth graders now. And, uh, sometimes, particularly when my kids were in the eighth grade, and I was thinking to myself, "That's how old I was." Happening to me, and they were kids. These kids, they were kids. And, and I'm not talking to a priest. Fuck this. Fuck that. That's why he was talking to me, telling me stories about how he would. Him, uh, Baltimore County police officers would go out on ride-throughs and get the people making out and pull them out of the car and embarrass the girl and wouldn't put their pants on. The stories were just off the cuff. That's when the relationship, in fact, I quoted, I quoted the keepers. Uh, they, uh, he basically told me, and that's probably in late April of 67, listen to you little motherfucker. I hear one more person come back and say, you're talking about me. I'm going to make sure you don't graduate. And that is when I realized I had a problem. Up until then, my uh, my parents didn't know anything about it. They just thought I was a, a priest that was taking an interest in me. And he would call my house quite often. My mother once told me, she said, I knew something was up. Because when he would call, I, I would say, tell him I'm not home. I'm not home. And that's when, that's when the real shit really started. I, I tell people sexual abuse was one thing. Four years, he stalked me. I mean, from my graduating from the eighth grade until graduating from Mount St. Joe, that was probably four of the toughest years of my life. He made it extremely tough because he had a lot of power in that community. And that community believed him. The same time that she was, whatever he said was, they believed him. At least until they found out what was really going on. Including my, my future father-in-law. Because he knew I liked uh, this girl in my class, who later became my wife. And uh, he was very good friends with the father, so he made it very difficult for me. Very difficult. Well, we never got into a fight. I, I don't think we got into a fight. We could put a, over a Keogh parking lot with me and my, my future father-in-law. But she did not want me around the daughter. And it was Father Maskell did all that. And that was right in the parking lot at 7.30 in the morning at Keogh parking lot. And again, I was a, I was probably a sophomore, junior in high school. It was pretty ugly. You said the argument was with Maskell or with your future father-in-law? It was with my father-in-law. It was with no. my father-in-law. But Maskell caused it by, by lying about, about, about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, my father-in-law did not want me around his daughter here at the end. And he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know anything about me. Only what Father Maskell told him. A, a little bit of a pickle here. I wanted to graduate. So I, mm-hmm. I had to go home and tell my mother. That was in 67. My father never did find out. But I went home and told my mother. And I didn't tell her everything. I told her enough for her to give her attention. And that's when my mother went down. That's when my mother got involved with the Catholic Church, with George Diocese of Baltimore. She was not going to let that crap happen. I still say to this day, that's why Maskell got transferred out. Of, I, I know that's why Maskell got transferred out of St. Clemens in 67 to Kiel. Because my mother went down there in, in April, May of 67. And you did not want to fool with my mother. Uh, believe me, you did not want to fool with my mother. My father would have killed him, by the way. That's why my mother never told my father. And she went down with another lady, and I won't mention her name. Because, again, she had since passed, but her kids are still alive. Her kids are good. They're my best friend. Her, her sons were my best friend. And if one of them drove, then he took the transit bus down. 
They didn't make a phone call. They went down there. I know that for a fact because I later went back and asked the lady that went with my mother. This was in the 90s when she was still alive. My mother had since passed. She told me exactly how it went down. I did that during the Mahuli incident. Just to make sure what I was saying to Mahuli was correct. If I say something and I'm not sure of it, I like to I'm not sure of it. I just went back to verify my facts. From, from then on, basketball stalked me for the next four years. He made my life very difficult. I was kicked out of the baseball team. I was kicked out of CYO. I wasn't allowed near the parish. And my mother first tried to talk to the Fontcolopy, the pastor. And he was very, he just couldn't do anything about it. That's what he said. You know, he was very sorry for all of it. He didn't have any control over it. I was home one day and I got a phone call. And my mother answered the phone. And I went to the phone and he said, Charles, I just want to tell you, Father Maskell has been transferred. And you are back in, you're back on the baseball team. You're back in CYO. You're welcome back to the parish. I remember that. He, he called me at my house. I was telling me that. The problem was, Maskell wasn't transferred to Keogh. He was transferred to Keogh, but he still came back to St. Clemens. Wait, so from five o'clock when he was still back at St. Clemens. His day job changed. It was a day job. It was a day job. Mm -hmm. He got him out there for a day, yep. and, and he was still around to, I, I do the CYO. He kept, many times he kicked me out, out of CYO dances. You know, finally, find a reason. He, uh, my pants were too tight. My, I was looking out the door. Like, if you walked outside for a second, now you're gone. Hell, he was the even. Oh, I remember a time he, we got new uniforms from baseball. And uh, he must have had a field day because we had to try the uniforms on Put them on before the game. We got there an hour early, and I was in new uniforms. Everybody had to undress. So some, somehow, Maskell got in there. If he was not involved with the baseball team, a gentleman named Mr. Gill. Now, I took my pants off, put my baseball pants on, and he saw that I didn't have a supporter. Back in his days, I, I didn't wear boxers. I wore, or what do you call it, 20 weightings. I don't know. And he told me that if I didn't have a supporter, I wasn't allowed to play. Well, I, I never wore a supporter. He said, I got a jock strap up my rectory. Go get it. Put it on there. You're not going to be able to play. I knew what he wanted. I knew exactly what was going on that day. So he gives me a key to the rectory. So I run on up to the rectory. That supporter was right where he said it was going to be. Real quick, pull my pants down, put the supporter on. By the time I got my supporter on, who do you think that in the rectory? At least I missed the show because I've already put the supporter on. Mm -hmm. I knew what was going. I knew what was going on. So he still had a lot of power. I go to see. I go to a lady of victory, and I know he was well liked over a lady of victory. I don't know if he's still well liked over there, but he show up there. He kicked me out of CYO over there. He just hell. One time he did an entire sermon about me in Sunday mass. Just a bad kid. He named you. Oh, he named me. Yeah, at he named mass. Me. At mass. At Sunday mass. So Probably eleven o'clock mass. Oh, thank Clemens. Thank Clemens lands now. Let me just say this. All, all those uh, people that were there, they later became patients of mine. They later became patients. But it finally came out, and it came out. It took a while, but it came out. So I had, I had four rough years. Uh, my high school years weren't very productive because I was had a lot of things going on in my life. Uh, a, a lot to ha have to deal with the Catholic Church. And a lot to have to deal with Maskell. 
I graduated bottom fifth of my high school class. I had a very bad four-year run at Mount St. Joe. And, and I, to this day, I regret that. To this day, I regret He blew four of my, my best years. But again, I was a kid. You know, I was 13 years old. That was probably worse than the, 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 the bullshit that happened up in the rectory, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, to me, had more of a, an effect. Because he had an effect on the people that... that my friends, parents, like I, I never got invited to parties that nope. friends had because I was bad. Those kids didn't know me. Their parents didn't know me. But they knew what he said about me. Father Maskell was the type of person. Father Maskell didn't care if it was a little boy, little girl, an adult man, an adult woman. Hell, man, you, you could have sent Father Maskell to a farm. He was fornicated with the sheep. He was just a very, very sick person. He was sick, and as he got older, he got sicker. He just got sicker. He just got, he got meaner. He was a very ugly guy to deal with, and he was intimidating. Maybe to a 13, 14, 15-year-old. He was intimidating. And when he knew he intimidated you, that's when he had you. Charles, when did you first start to realize that People were being abused at Keo. That's a good question. Hey, let, let me tell you something. There's people who were abused at Lansdowne and Clements along with me that I later found out. I've had lunch with uh, one or two, and I won't mention the names. I never knew any of this. I thought it was me. I thought it was just me. I didn't realize the extent of his abuse that was going on at Keo. Even after the chef died, I, I never put the connection together. Now, I can remember when it happened. My wife, he told me, my wife graduated from Keogh in 71. I didn't realize crap was going on until 1971 when my wife came out and told my girlfriend at the time, came out and told me that Father Maskell had called her into his office to talk with her. That he saw me and my girlfriend in the backseat of my car, bare-ass naked fucking. That was his quote. That's not my quote. That never happened. I love that, that woman. I have way more respect than to do that. Okay? That never happened. So we knew it was a lie. But he was—he kept her there six hours. He was in that office six hours. And even after that, I never realized that he had done it to other girls and got away with it. And that was in March. That was in March 71. I know that for a fact. And by then, we, me and Master, we were having a running gun battle as far as me trying to keep the heat off my back from the shit that he was starting, either with Paris, with my future father-in-law, or with my friend's parents. So I never really realized what was going on. But she came out crying that day. And I picked her up from, from school. I would pick her up from school, take her home, because her, her, her house is only... It's been a ride from Keo. She lives on Hammond Surrey Road. And I said, what, what's going on? And she explained to me what was, what happened. That's when I had enough. I was no longer 13 years old. I was 18 years old. I had enough of him, what he was doing with me. But now he's starting with my girlfriend. And that's when, that uh, late, things between me and Madison came to a head. Uh, up till then, I never knew what he was doing with these girls. I 
had no idea. My mom would be turning in her grave. My mother would be turning in her grave if she knew about that. Because one of one thing that I do hope for, the city of Baltimore was very complicit in all of this. Uh, as far as hiding all, all this bull crap. Uh, even in the 90s, that, that, that trial in the 90s was a joke. In Jane Roe, let me say, I didn't, I didn't know who Jane Roe was then. Didn't know who Jane Doe was. I didn't know these girls. I didn't know what that was all about, but that whole thing was a sham. That was a joke. Uh, that was a done deal before it even the judge ought to be ashamed of himself. It's simple. What I hope for is that that they do get the record. Because, you know, that's going to tell a lot. These people knew what was going on. They they tried to hide. Hell, half of them were doing it. It wasn't just masculine. The whole community, there was a community of priests that were just, it was sick. It was just a, a sick community of. A priest, and in my heart, I, it didn't happen in the sixties. It goes back to the fifties. It didn't wake up one day in the fifties. All this started happening. This crap goes back to the fifties, to the forties. I don't know that for a fact, but I would speculate. It went on for a long, long time. It went on for a long time, and it just it, it got to a point where people became aware of it, more aware of it. So I didn't know about the. I didn't know about that until the 90s. That's another story. Can you tell us what happened when you went? You said things came to a head with you and Maskell. Can you go ahead and tell us what happened at night? I was intoxicated the whole month of March, my senior year of Mount St. Joe. I was drunk the whole month of March. And I say that I was working 29 hours a week as a meat cutter, AMP. I was going to school, and I was intoxicated. You know, so it's just, it's just, it's just, that's the only way I could deal with life. I was drunk the whole month. And I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. And I wish I could do it over. I wish I could do it over. Like I say, it, it, there was four years that I wish I, like, oh, I could get back. He came out, she was crying. And I said, what happened? And she tells me a story about what I just said, the basketball got her in the in his psychology office. Nowadays, if you have a master's degree in psychology, you're not a psychologist. You got a master's degree in psychology, period. But in those days, you thought it was stigmatory. And for six hours, he interrogated. I just had enough. So uh, that evening, me and a friend of mine, he's not supposed to be a big guy. I knew this was going, this was going to get ugly there. But I was getting ugly. I don't want to mention his name. He was one of the two, so my friends, that, that, and, uh, he hears that he knows you remember who you know it is. We went down to the rectory. I drove to the rectory. I was intoxicated, I'll tell you. I went to the back of my car. I got a baseball bat out. I knocked on the rectory door. And Father Fields came to the... Now the rectory's attached to the church. It's not the, the, this is where it is now. The rectory's still there. That's so I'm here. So, oh, she called me. And he asked me uh, why. So he came in, so I explained why. So they knew what was going on. They knew what was going on beforehand. And I'm going to kill a motherfucker. I've had it. I am done. I ain't 13 years old no more. I'm 18. And to be honest with you, I, I really felt like I could kick his ass. But uh, let me say, uh, I did bring a friend along, just in case. <laughs> I, was, 
cover my base because Maxwell's a big guy. And we went around for about 35 minutes. He would, they wouldn't let me in. And Maxwell looked out the window. He wouldn't come out, but he looked up at the window. And I looked down to see what was going on. Because it got pretty loud. And it got pretty ugly. And it went on for about 35 minutes. This is in March of 71. When you tell me that the Catholic Church wasn't aware of what was, what was going on, once again, they are liars. Because in no way did that not get back to the church. You'd have to be an imbecile to believe that incident did not get back to the church, to the archdiocese. I'm telling you, the only thing that didn't come was the police that night. As I was going to tear through that door. In any event, I never did get the baseball bat on, on Maxwell's head. But when he was at the window, I walked over the window. And I, I got a pretty foul mouth. And I don't know if you can hear him listen to the podcast. But I told him, I said, listen, motherfucker. If I ever hear you talking about me, or if you ever talk to my girlfriend, I'm not going to knock on this door. I'm coming through this door. I'm going to knock your fucking head off your shoulder. And from that day on, Maxwell left me alone. I never got my hands on him, but he knew I was serious. I later talked to Father Colby about it. Actually, I talked to Father Colby when I got through dental school. He was patient, and I asked him about that. Over 500 West University Parkway, my first dental practice. He apologized. Leave the diff. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash foul, F-O-U-L. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. He knew what was going on, and they did the same thing with Father Gerard. He Gerard. He said, Charlie, I was a 55, 50-some-year-old priest, and that went down. And the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese told me that if I spoke up, I would lose my pension. That's how they get you. Catholic Church gets these priests with pensions. They did it with Steve Gerard. That's a fact. Uh, I'm telling you, he told me that right over. He said, I am so sorry that I let you dead. He said, I had no other job skill. I was 55 years old. If I lost that job, and to him it was a job, I'd have nothing to fall back on. And he threatened to take my pension away. 
if I spoke up. And Father Fields is probably still alive. Father Tullock died. Father Fields is probably still alive. And uh, I'll say this for Father Fields. If he's any kind of man, he would tell you the truth. That's up to him. I've never had a problem with Father. Father Fields seemed like a, 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 a beautiful person. Good guy. And his brother was happened to be a monk over at Mount St. Joe. George Fields was taught me math and geometry, geometry and algebra. Calby apologized for what, what, and they knew it. He knew what was going on. When I had to go up to the rectory in, in, in the eighth grade, in order to get upstairs to that room of, of Maskell's, I had a walk right past uh, Calby's desk. A lot of times he was at that desk. I walked right past that desk many times in there. They, they knew what was going on. Uh, it really twists you up a little bit when you start thinking about but these guys get away with dealing with little boys and little girls. But some of them were girls. I later found out some of these uh, people that he dealt with at St. Clemens were young girls that, that he twisted up. But I don't have the answer. I don't know. But I do know that he apologized. There's one question that a lot of people keep asking. So I'm going to ask you so we can get the answer straight from you. Okay? Sure. Okay. In the 90s, when the Doe case was in the newspapers, Father Maluli visited you. You were not part of that tape. Right. I was not so, part of it. They threw it out. Okay. So why would Maluli, at the very same time, make the overture to ask for a meeting with you we know that the church has said it was for comfort and support. Yeah, they weren't, you weren't even involved in the Doe okay, stop, stop right there. Stop right there. The Archdiocese knew that there was a little boy at St. Clement's that Maskell had, did what Maskell does, and that his mother went down to the Archdiocese. That was a fact. Okay, they knew that. Okay, now they got a problem. Because Jane Doe, and I didn't know Jane Doe, I didn't know Jane Rowe at the time. I was practicing dentistry. In fact, I was in my last down office. They wanted to get to me before the plaintiff lawyers got to me. Okay, so there was a rush. I had a patient, and I do not remember her name, but she was a sweetheart of a patient. She was separated from her husband or divorced. I treated her and her child. She's probably in her late 30s. Pretty much the same age as me, and she was a nice person. And one day I'm treating her, and she says, Hey, you know, the Archdiocese of Baltimore is trying to get a hold of you. I said, What? She said, The Archdiocese of Baltimore is trying to get a hold of you. She said, They knew there was a little boy in St. Clemens, Father Maskell had uh, abused, and his mother went down. She told me the whole story. Now I don't know if she worked for, for I don't even know who she worked for. I said, Well, what she, and now there's a lawsuit involving two Keo girls. Who said they were abused by Father Maskell. That's the first I heard of it. I said, well, they only get a hold of me. Tell them to call me. Uh, I'm not calling them. I really don't give a shit. And I meant that. Nothing did me. I did care about the women. Don't get me wrong. But I really didn't give a crap what the heart died in Baltimore one and didn't want. They, they want to talk to me. Call my secretary. And that's what they did. Yeah, I didn't know who it was, uh, but they, they called my secretary and they arranged to a meeting. It was, it was 8 o'clock at night at my Cainesville office. 
And I didn't know who he was. From We met 8 o'clock at my Catonsville office after work. Me and my wife was there. I won the dental assistant so was, was probably still there cleaning up in the back. Okay, and she's still alive, Marie. Three people came. I don't know where Mahuli... Uh, I have nothing against Mahuli. Mahuli didn't do anything to me. And Mahuli is a businessman in in, in a in a organization called Religion. Okay, the Catholic Church is a, a business. Okay, it's in the business of salvation. But he is a businessman, and that's how I looked at it. He is trying to put out a fire that is occurring here. That's how I looked at it. I didn't look at him. There was no, let's pray, get off, you count. In fact, he opened up, and and he knows what he said, and I know what he said. He opened up the the meeting with Archbishop, I believe, Keeler at the time. Do I have that right, Archbishop Keeler? Yes. This is so important, Charlie. That if Archbishop Keeler wasn't over in Rome becoming a cardinal, he would be here right now. That's how we opened that conversation. Because what's what's going on? And then we won on, he said, we know that Basil and your mother, he told me that. So I don't want to hear the bullshit that they weren't aware of it. Can you tell us the story? Now with that, at the time, he it was three three priests, three people. Or my senior Mahoney, whatever. Again, I have nothing against this guy. I'm just telling you fact. And I thought he introduced the other two as canon lawyers. And if I'm wrong about that, I apologize. Because they didn't really have too much to say. I seem to remember, he sat down, they stood up. I'm later told one of them was the vicar. We spent two hours, two and a half hours, talking about what went on. This is what we're doing right now. This between me and Masculine, Masculine and Denise. And I, it's funny, Gemma. This is a maybe 93, 94, maybe, I don't know. Maybe 92. I don't know. But I thought these girls were suing for $40,000. I said, what's the, they have a $40 million lawsuit against us. And I can remember saying, holy shit, $40 million. A lot of money back in 94. What the hell did Masculine do to these girls? Because I still did not know. You know what I mean? And he explained it to me. And as sure as I'm standing here, I said, listen, here's what I would suggest. Just do the right thing. Because this is not going to go away. He later got shipped up to Delaware to do the same thing, I think. He put out the Delaware fires. Huh? They were creeping up everywhere. It, it was a forest fire. And they were spraying up everywhere. And, and Father Mahuli, Monsignor Mahuli, but I think he was the man to go to to put out sexual lawsuits. Charles, is there any last words of wisdom or anything else you want to say? Catholic Church has a, a problem on their hands right now. Uh, again, it's not a bushfire. We got an out-of-control forest fire here going, and it's cropping up state by state. I'll be interested to see how it ends. And I'm really concerned about the people that, that, that were affected by it. Mm-hmm. We want to thank you for your courage. This I know this isn't easy, and I just want you to know that you're one of my personal heroes. We yeah. all love and care for you, okay? I appreciate it.